All right, I am so glad to be here in beautiful San Diego. What a place, I'm telling you. We, we're, uh, just thank the Lord for your pastor and, and his family. I love, I love uh, uh, Pastor Chadwick, Debbie, and the girls. They're just such a blessing. And, and to thank God for his friendship. And uh, he's been a blessing to my life. I believe that friends are a gift, amen? I believe you ought to take care of your gifts. Don't squander them and don't waste them. And so I'm very grateful very grateful for his input into my life and his encouragement, his sharpening uh, fact that, that you, you, know, you, don't, you don't have to be twins to be brothers. Uh, I'm quoting a friend of mine, Bill Prater, you don't have to be twins to be brothers. And when you want to sharpen something, you don't use, you don't use, the, same, uh, you don't use the same metal. It's, it's, it's different. It is, it's the abrasiveness sometimes that brings about the sharpening. And, uh, and I'm grateful for people that, that sharpen us. You don't have to be exactly alike. And in fact, it's the differences sometimes that, that expand you and help you, help you uh, grow as a Christian. If we circle ourselves only with people that are just like us, we live in an echo chamber. And all we hear back is our own opinion. And some people are so insecure, that's all they want to hear is what they think and what they believe. And, and I'm glad for the fact that I've got some dear friends and, and Brother Ferg and, and Brother Chadwick. I'm grateful for them. And the fact that they, they have, they've invested in me as much as I've invested in them. And uh, when you get a little, little ways down the line... You know, I remember when we were young, just married, people invited us over, and then as we had one, two, three, four, five, six kids, strangely enough, we ate a lot at home, and uh, so, you know, that just happens, and, and uh, you, get a little, you get a little older, you're grateful for some young guys that, that want to hang out with you and want to spend time with you and, and that value your friendship, and, and so I'm thankful for them, love them, thank God for them. You ought to thank God for your pastor and his family, Amen. Always, never take them for granted, love them, take care of them, watch out for them, provide for them, make sure that, that they're getting the rest and, and the, the time that, that, that everybody needs. Jesus said to his disciples, come apart and rest a while. Vance Abner said what he was actually saying is come apart and rest a while or come apart. And sometimes we come apart because we haven't rested a while. And so make sure that you make it easy for him, the best to your ability, to be able to carry the burdens and responsibilities that God has given him. I want you to open your Bible to the book of Hebrews this morning. Hebrews chapter number 11 is where we're going to be today. Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to, we're going to look there. Hebrews chapter 11. Now, when you come to chapter 11 of Hebrews, you find yourself in the hall of faith. That's what we call this chapter. It's the hall of faith. I taught through this a number of years ago, and, and we went verse by verse and person by person and talked about their, uh, the things that, that made them notable. Why were they inducted into this hall of faith? The things that perhaps would shock us in their life when we find them here. I mean, come on, we're going to read Samson a little bit. Are you kidding me? Really? No. Samson? The dude was narcissistic. He was carnal. Listen to me. And 
And he took the gifts of God and he toyed with them. But at the end of his life, he ended on a note of faith. You know what that teaches me? It teaches me this. God is not depressed by what you were. Listen to me. He's not impressed by what you think you are. Okay? God wants us to end well. So whatever your past is, you you know, wherever you came from, whatever you've done, whatever scars you carry, whatever guilt you bring, however you failed and however flawed you are, can I tell you this, that God has a purpose for your life, just like Samson. And so as we walk through the hall of faith, as we would the hall of fame and see the different Uh, little markers to the great players that, you know, made it into football's Hall of Fame. That's what happens in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. In in verse number 4, we find Abel. He offered a more excellent sacrifice. We find in verse 5, Enoch, and he was translated that he should not see death. And in verse 7, we find Noah. Well, immediately when I see Noah, I'm thinking, okay, now wait a minute. I know Noah built the ark, understand that. But not long after the flood was over, we find Noah drunk in his tent. And so it raises my eyebrow. And then I see Abraham and Sarah. And and, and this is a chapter on faith. And, And when the famine came, rather than really trusting God, they went down to Egypt, which was forbidden of the Israelites. They went down to Egypt to find help in a time of need and storm in their life. And so what happened is... They ran into Hagar and brought her into the family. And it was Abraham and Hagar that produced Ishmael. Then later, Abraham and Sarah produced Isaac. Well, you want to talk about some dysfunctional stuff? Read your Bible. These are flawed people. I mean, Ishmael and Isaac, good night. Just the history of those two peoples has plagued the world for millennium. And, 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 and so they're, they're, there they are. I mean, and yet they're here. Isaac and Jacob. Jacob was the father of a, you want to talk dysfunctional, good night. I mean, this guy's family was a mess. He was a deceiver. And then, and then Joseph, his son, is there who was the son of the dysfunctional family of the deceiver. So let me recommend him, and yet Joseph rose above that. Moses is next. Moses got so angry, he smote the rock twice, which was a type of Christ. Instead of where God said, smite it once. And now Moses dies on Nebo. I've stood on Mount Nebo and wept. As I looked out across to the what would be the land of promise, the holy land, I wept realizing that this was the place where Moses viewed the holy land. Now we know later on the Mount of Transfiguration he was there. But in this life, while he drew breath, Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land. And there's Joshua. Joshua. Joshua headed a generation that allowed another generation to come behind them that the Bible says knew not the Lord. So they did not pass the baton. 
They didn't pass on their passion and what they knew about the Lord to those that followed. Verse 31, guess who we find? Wow, Rahab. Rahab. By faith, the harlot Rahab. Well, wait a minute. You kidding me? Rahab the harlot is in the hall of faith? No, no, no. Rahab, Rahab is identified as a harlot because God wants you to know this. God wants you to know that your past is not what's important to him. It's not what you were, it's who you are in Christ Jesus. And so here she is, but honestly, are we not, let, let's be honest, in a lot of circles, in a lot of places, in a lot of churches, Rahab would not be invited because of simply the tainting of her past. Canyon Ridge, please, never get to the place, never get to the place to where you become so highfalutin, if I could say it that way, that everybody's not welcome. Do you know where the prostitutes of San Diego should be? Front row. And I'm going to tell you, I've said this to church planners when I preach their meetings. If, if, this, if we, I'm talking about the, 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 the church of Jesus Christ, if we can't get beyond the tattoos and the needle tracks and the drugs and the prison time, if we can't get beyond all that, the people we're responsible for reaching are going to go to hell because we've got a church that, that is more of a social club than it is the, the New Testament church that Jesus founded. And, and so here it is. Look with me now, if you would please, in, in, in verse number 32. And what shall I more say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Now he was, he was Gideon was timid, and of Barak he was fearful, and of Samson he was carnal, and of Jephthah he was the son, illegitimate son of a, of a harlot, and David he scandalized Israel, and Samuel whose, his sons, his sons didn't serve God. He didn't raise his sons where, the, I mean, they had to make their own decisions, but I'm saying that would have tainted him. But notice 33 who through faith subdued kingdoms and wrought righteousness and obtained promises and stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, women received their dead, raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trials of cruel mockings and of scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. And they were stoned, they were sawn asunder, and were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. These all, having obtained a good report through faith, Receive not the promise, God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Let's pray, would you? Father, thank you for the joy of being here in your house. And I thank you for this pastor, his friendship, his family. Thank you, dear God, for the, for the privilege I have to stand behind 
this pulpit, and I pray that you would bless today as only you can bless. Lord, I pray that the message you want taken to every heart would be carried beyond the ear, that you would be thorough with us, Lord Jesus, and deal with the hearts. And God will give you glory and praise for all of it. We ask these things in the matchless name of Christ our Savior. Amen. When Susie and I were in the early years of our marriage and our children were very small, we would one of the things we enjoyed doing is we would, we would rent a movie from the library. And I, I say this humorously, but if you don't know anything about the movies the library rents out, they're just a level above the, the silent picture shows. You know, I mean, it's just, it's pit, but, you know, I, I would look at it and say, good night, I can actually smell dinosaur. Who rented this? Where did you get this? And, you know, there's some classic, I don't know, Humphrey Bogart talks with marbles in his mouth. My wife loves it. She just loves these old movies that are decrepit. You know, it's, it's like another millennial, but she watches these things. And, and so we would rent a lot of those things. And, and after watching the movie, we would rate the movie. It's either a bomb. Nope. That, that was horrible. That is, are you, that's the worst movie I've ever seen. And it's, it's you know, then another one would, would top it or bottom it, however you say that. Or we would rate it. That's, 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 that was all right. That's okay. Or it could be possibly, if it was really good, my kids would look to me because I'm the only one that could give the final approval of it being rated a herring classic. Wow, the kids were all excited when we rated something a herring classic. And again, I, you, don't go, you, don't, you, you can't go somewhere and rent a DVD and it have HC on it and, and you Google it and it means herring classic. Nobody cared about that but us, okay? But we had herring classics that we thought were just absolutely tremendous. If you got my family up here and you lined my wife up and my six children and they said, you said, tell us, tell us about your dad. One of the things they would say immediately is my dad's a happy ending dad. Amen. Okay. A happy ending dad. I've locked my children in the garage for months because they brought a movie home that had a sad ending to it. <laughs> Get out of my house. We'll feed you with a slingshot for a week. Do not come back in here until I'm over that movie. Just, I'm a happy ending guy, no doubt about it. The hero wins. He gets the beautiful girl. They ride off into the sunset, and they begin living happily ever after. I smile. I go to bed feeling good. You know, I like some frou-frou stuff simply because it ends good, you know. I'm not going to watch a horror show. Give me something that has a good ending to it. And I, I, that's, that's, that's really much the way I am. Matthew says that uh, the hypocrite shall receive the greater damnation. I would like to couple that with those people that write bad endings for movies, okay? <laughs> Special to compartment in hell. No, sir, no. I, look, look, no, you wrote the movie. Go, you know. I started painting a number of years ago because my wife and my daughter sort of coerced me into it. And, and it, it's a long story, but I, I finally got to the place where I could make something look like something. People walk by my house. That's something. Wow. That's, that's something. They aren't sure what it is, but it's something. I started painting. My wife said to me, she said, Dean, I noticed that you don't use earth tones. You don't use to do, listen, when I paint a red barn, it's red, Okay. It is a red 
barn, okay? If I have a sky, it's a blue sky. It's a blue sky. I mean, listen, that's, uh, grass is green, all right? That's just life. My motorcycle that I have, a, a, a 2014 uh, Indian Chief Vintage, it's yellow, okay? It's yellow. I live in Idaho. It melts snow as I ride down the road. Snow is just <laughs> fleeing from it, parting the Red Sea. I like bright colors. And she, know, she said to me, I noticed when you paint, she said, I'll, I'll use some subdued tones, but all of your paintings, they're, they're bright colors. And, and even my ties. Jerry Garcia, you know. He was, anyhow. They say they take these from... Evidently, they say that they take these from paintings that he did, and we know who Jerry Garcia was. So evidently, drug addicts like uh, nice, bright colors too. I don't know what that says about me, but I want to say I am, I'm, I'm, anyhow, I'm sober today. So won't, just, just trust me with that, if you will. But because of my inclination for happy endings, because I like everything to end well, be honest with you, as a young man, I had my life all pre painted in bright colors and smiley faces and everything was great. Nobody went to the doctor. There were no surgeries. I mean, everybody was serving the Lord and every single person in my family was busy living happily ever after. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I have to counsel people about heartache and heartbreak and tragedies. And you know what? I've had none of those, Brother Bernie, none of them. My life is, my life, the sails are up, the wind is blowing, and old Dino, I mean, he is heading for glory. It's just a beautiful life. But one day I found out that life never goes exactly as you script it. Can I, can I say this, and, and, and again, I'm not very far out on a, on a limb. Listen carefully to me. Life never goes as you plan. Never does. Somewhere, at some time, in some place, it's going to happen. Plan B enters into your life. It doesn't ring the doorbell. It doesn't knock on the door. It doesn't wait on an invitation. Plan B shows up, kicks the door down, and all of a sudden you're standing there facing plan B, and you've got to figure out how you're going to get beyond it, and sometimes how you're going to live with it, because it's brought in suitcases, and you can realize by the stuff it's packed and brought with it, plan B's not leaving you very quickly. And what you do When your life transitions from plan A to plan B is going to determine the quality and the happiness of your Christian walk and your effectiveness in serving the Lord. It's that transition time that sometimes puts us on the sideline, sucks the wind out of our sails, and, and we become spectators rather than participators. Notice with me in Hebrews 11, verse 33, where we read. Now, here's, here's what I want to do right now. Would you do me a favor? Let's picture a, a, let's picture a testimony 
time here at church where the pastor says, somebody share something with me God's done for you. Share with me. Get, uh, uh, let's, take, let's take a few moments. Let's take some testimonies. And so a man in the back raises his hand and the pastor points him out and says, yes, sir. Uh, well, uh, give us a testimony. Pastor, yesterday I subdued kingdoms. Not a kingdom, kingdoms, plural. Well, wow. I mean, how often do you hear that? I said, I, I thank God because I was able to subdue kingdoms. That's a positive note. And, and, and then he, he, he looks at somebody else and somebody says, I've been praying over something. Pastor, I obtained promises. The very thing I ask of God, God did for me. And somebody else said, hey, hey, uh, uh, two days ago, uh, I stopped the mouths of lions. And then somebody else says, I quenched the violence of fire. And another guy over here says, I escaped the edge of the sword. And another guy says, I, I waxed valiant in flight. And this guy over here raises his hand. And he said, I turned to flight the armies of aliens. And a woman back there raises her hand and said, my son, died two days ago but by the glory of almighty God God healed him God brought him up and my son's alive today man alive you talk about an electrifying service good night people are rejoicing people are weeping people are saying whoo what a God and if you're from the south you know your socks are rolling up and down on your leg you know you're getting excited man you're looking around saying well these people matter if I just run down the aisle I mean, it's an electrifying testimony meeting. But then all of a sudden over here, a lady raises her hand. Yes, ma'am. Pastor, um, three days ago I was tortured. Whew. The air goes out the building. You know why? We don't know how to deal with that. Whew. Pardon, ma'am? I was tortured, Pastor, for my faith. Somebody else Verse 36, well, I, I, I've, I've suffered through trials of cruel mockings and scourgings. Another one says, yeah, I was, I was put in bonds and in prison for my faith. Three people over here raised their hand. Yes, sir. Pastor, I'm speaking for all of us. We were, we were almost stoned to death two weeks ago for our faith as we were out soul winning. Another guy raises his hand and said, I, I've got a brother that was sawn asunder. They, they killed him. Another one, another one raises his hand and said, Preacher, I thank God for the one that escaped the edge of the sword. But, but my dad didn't. He was spared, but my dad died. Somebody killed him with the edge of the sword. And then others, they looked sort of ragamuffin. They, were, they went about, they wandered about in deserts in sheepskins and goatskins. Wait a minute. No, Listen. No, they didn't drive a real nice car. No, no, they, they didn't have the things that we all think are, are equated with success. No, they were destitute. Afflicted and tormented. So what you have here is you have plan A, and then it transitions there in verse 35 into uh, uh, verse 34 into plan B, you see. There's a transition that takes place in verse, verse uh, 35, the second part of that. Now watch this. Verse 35, look there, would you? Notice, notice that word, and others were tortured. Would you circle that word, others? Just... Circle that word. Think about that for a moment. Notice verse 36. And others, 
had trial of cruel mockings. You know the word other, others made. Look at me. It's plural. So, so what, is it, what is that teaching us? It's teaching us this. You're not the only one hurting. You're not the only one suffering. No, no, no. And again, listen, your, your, um, your pain may be unique to you. Suffering isn't comparable you, you, because it's different people, different dynamics. So you, you don't compare. Well, he, did, he suffered the same thing. No, it's not ever the same thing. The situation may be similar, but there are different dynamics and different personalities and different DNA and different wiring systems. And so while, while, while your pain may be your pain alone, the reality of it is this. If you look around you, your footprints aren't the only footprints on the path of pain that you're walking. There are other people that have been there before you. There are other people that are there with you now. And there will be other people that will come after you. Our life is a plan B life filled with plan B people, filled with plan B problems. And we have to learn how to transition from plan A and plan B and stay faithful to God. That's what we've got to learn to do. It may, it may be that, that, that a few years ago you were at a wedding altar staring into the eyes of the person that you deeply loved and actually making a covenant that with sickness and in health, better for worse, richer for poor, you're all in. And now, just a few years later, they say that most divorces take place within two years of the wedding altar. And now, two years later, you're in a divorce court staring at each other uh, and, 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 and you can't believe the anger and the hatred and the eyes that once looked on you as love. Maybe, maybe with all this stuff going on, your financial world has collapsed. Maybe the love of your life passed away right before your very eyes, right as you were approaching the golden years of life and, and, and looking forward to spending the, the, the rest of your life together. And now you don't even know what kind of life you've got ahead of you. How do I breathe without you? Maybe it's a child that breaks your heart and leaves you bewildered sitting at home wondering what did I do? What could I have done? What should I have done? How could I have made a difference? And yet you can't shake the feeling of failure. Maybe, maybe it's, it's a, a, a mate that betrayed you and cheated on you. And you're left wondering, why wasn't I enough? Why, did, why didn't I satisfy him? Why didn't I satisfy her? Why wasn't I enough for them? And, and, and suddenly you just feel less of a person. Maybe it's a dad that crushed your heart when he walked out on you and left you to figure out life on your own. I've sat, listen, I have stood and counseled grown men, 50 and 60 years old, that, that, that have got things going on in their life, they've got problems, and I, I talk with them, and, and it, it finally boils down after uh, hours of counseling. We get to a place to where they look at me, and, and grown men start weeping. Brother, what's wrong? My dad didn't my dad wouldn't my dad never 
No, no, your dad's been gone for 20 years. And here's a grown man. Maybe his dad lives across the country. But here's a grown man. Got success in business. And got a family himself. And yet he cannot escape the fact that he felt like he never pleased his father, that he never received his father's love. And here is a grown man emotionally struggling over a scar that he's carried all these years of his life. I'm telling you, people are hurting. People people are hurting all over the world. I I, I don't know, maybe, maybe, maybe it was a car wreck that took your mama from you, and you're wondering, why would a God who's supposed to love us let that happen? Maybe it's the haunting silence of a sonogram where there once was a beating heart. Maybe, maybe like in my life, I can take you to two little cemetery plots of two of my grandchildren that died since we moved to Idaho. And I stood and preached their funerals while their little caskets were laid in the ground. Plan B, all of a sudden it's there. Sometimes it's a, it's a searing pain in the chest. Sometimes it's cancer. Sometimes it bears the name of diabetes, leukemia, my father died of Waldenstrom's macroglobulinemia, a 50-yard word for a cheap, cheap cancer of the bone marrow. The greatest man I've ever known was taken from me. Sometimes it just takes initials like MS, but nonetheless, it's there, and it's in our life. Now, there's some lessons to learn from the scripture we read. Let me give you a few of those lessons for just a few moments. Would you let me do that? First lesson I find when I look here is I find the goodness of God isn't determined by the circumstances of life. Uh, would you let me say that again and would you just sort of let that soak in for a second? The goodness of God isn't determined by what happens in your life or my life. God is good. Why is God good? Because things are going good with Dean. Oh, Dino, he's got it going, man. Everything's good in Dean's life. Well, well, wait a minute. What about when things aren't going in Dean's, good in Dean's life? Do I have the authority to say, well, God ain't good? Why? Because things ain't going good in my life. No, no, no. The goodness of God isn't determined, isn't determined by the circumstances of life. Look at me. Sometimes we treat God like a vending machine, okay? How many of you have ever been to a vending machine, all right? So you walk up to a vending machine, and the first thing you do is you press F6. Why do you press F6? Because F6 links to the Butterfinger. Dude, the peanuts, the Pop-Tarts, what? All the other stupid stuff. You know what? It's stale, why is it stale? Who wants to buy that garbage? No, you walk up to a vending machine, you're going to buy a Butterfinger candy bar. So you press F6 and you watch that little spirally thing. Have you ever had it go just like this? Yeah. And it stops. And your Butterfinger isn't falling. And you're staring thinking it's got at least another half turn in it and it doesn't. Are you kidding me? I pressed F6. That's my butterfinger. And so as a pastor, you know, 
I'm, you know, I'm in the hospital. I'm going to visit somebody in ICU, and I certainly want to be appropriate. So I look around, smiling. Nobody's there. I'm shaking that machine. <laughs> Give me my butterfinger, you know. If my kid's visiting with me, I try to lodge him up in that. Get, get up in there. Son. Get, get my butterfinger, you know. I asked for it. No, no, no. I pressed the proper code. So I expect a butterfinger. Here's what we do to God. Father, this is what I want. And you guess what you press, F6? You know why? You're not going to press F2. You know what you want. And when God doesn't give you what you want, you get angry. You get mad. You know why? Because we're selfish people. I know what I want. I know exactly what I want. And, and, and when God doesn't respond to me like my heavenly vending machine, I, I, get, I get upset. But can I tell you this? We've got a pretty big inflated opinion of ourselves. If we think that God's going to do everything we want God to do, he's not Santa Claus. Okay. Here's prayer. It's the magic lamp. We're rubbing the magic. Here comes Aladdin. <laughs> you know, Aladdin's genie's out. What do you want? Three wishes, you know. No, no, no. It's not how God works. So sometimes, sometimes we're disappointed. Uh, the goodness of God doesn't hinge on me. God's good because the Bible says he is. Psalm uh, 27, verse 13 and 14, I had fainted unless I believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thy heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. In Psalm 107, verse 8, 15, 21, and 31, it says the same thing. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness, for his wonderful works to the children of men. God is good, my friend. And a good God can get you through the worst of times if you'll just trust him. Second thing I learned is this. Ready for this? Here we go. Bad things happen to good people. See, the question is really, can God trust you with plan B? Because people that can't be trusted with plan B are really spoiled Christians that pout, they get mad, they were in church, they're not in church, they were here, they're not here. I used to teach, I don't teach. I once was faithful, I'm no longer faithful. Why? Because I pressed F6 and my butterfinger didn't fall from God. No, no, here's the reality of the matter. Bad things happen to good people. Look, they were tortured. They, 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 had, they, they were in bonds and imprisonment, stones sawn asunder, tempted, slain with the sword, wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, afflicted, tormented, wandered in deserts. In our church, we'll have sign-up sheets. I, I don't know if you do that, but, but if, you know, if you're going to have men's retreat, you need to sign your name. Okay, and we have somebody that's in control of that, and they keep it all up and know, know what we need to order and things like that. So, so we have sign-up sheets. What, what if the pastor came up and said, hey, we got, we got two lists out there. Won't you sign one or the other? We've got plan A. If you'll sign up for plan A, you'll be blessed. The things that, listen, everything will go right. You, look, you, you're going to have testimonies that are going to excite people. If you'll sign up for plan A, you're going to have a great life filled with exciting, thrilling blessings. Now, there's another list out there we want you to sign if you're interested in that, and it's plan B. If you'll sign plan B, you'll be tortured. How many of you like to be tortured? Okay, no. Really? Slain with a sword, sawn asunder. Okay, here's the deal. 
and we'll try to help provide the clothes. You'll wander about in sheepskins and goatskins in the Mojave Desert and live in caves. No, nobody's going to sign that. We're trying to figure out how to get our stocks up, you know, our bank account up. We're looking for the good life. Nobody's going to sign plan B. Are you crazy? I'm not signing plan B. I, I don't, I don't want to be, I don't want to be a part of plan B. I don't want to be included on plan B. And there's a lie. It's a pervasive lie that we hear all the time. And that is that if we do good, God will do good for us. And if we disappoint God, guess what God's going to do? He's going to nail us with bad things. Well, that's not the God of the Bible. That's a hybrid God created from from Oriental mysticism, from Greek mythology, Roman mythology. It's a little bit of Zeus, a little bit of Odin, a little bit of, 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 of everything like that with a, little, a few scriptures mingled in and twisted out of context. And that's the God that we often sing about and worship in our churches. That's not God. Let me tell you about Dane. My, listen, my sins have been punished. Go to Calvary. I have been judged, go to Calvary. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised, why? For our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and with his stripes we are healed. So he took it all and I'm grateful. But bad things still happen to good people. It's not, it's not necessarily a sign of the displeasure of God. It's that we live in a sin-cursed, sin-sick world. And, and, and we, get, we catch things. We get sick. We have to go to the dentist. I always like it when I see a faith healer straightening his glasses, talking about how God can heal you. Really? Heal yourself. I mean, I mean, straighten your own eyes out and I might believe that, okay? No, no, listen to me. The, 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 the rea- listen, the story of Job will teach you that bad things happen to good people because he was the best man on earth. Not according to man's opinion, according to God's opinion. Third thing I want you to know is this, and that is simply this, that God doesn't cause every trial, but he works. He can work in every trial. The, 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 the foreknowledge, here's where we get mixed up. Well, God knew. Well, yes, God knew, but God didn't cause. Let me say it again. The foreknowledge of God is not causative. Okay? I may know, I may know full well that, that Brother Bernie is going to, in, when this service is over, slap Brother Fergus. I mean, it's over. Amen. Okay, some of you boxers that are in here, we'll, we'll get ringside seats, won't we? Yes, sir. It may not be right, but if two dogs are fighting, I'm going to watch. Don't break them up. Good night. Let something... That... Anyhow, all right, move on. That's, I know that's not spiritual, but still. So, Brother Bernie's going to slap Brother Ferg when the service is over. Because he's been... He has been spreading gossip and vile rumors about me. Bernie loves me. And he heard that Brother Ferg said that I was a Florida Gator fan. Can you think of anything more vile to say of anyone than that? 
go dogs. I'm a bulldog. Amen. Bleed red and black. But anyhow, I know what's going to happen. As soon as this is over, get out the way. I, I'm, I'm get, get out the way. He's going to slap him. Wait a minute. Just because I know that doesn't mean I caused it. So God knows everything. But we spend, we spend so much time blaming God for the things that, 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 that happen in our life. And the reality of the matter is that God gave us a perfect utopia and we've blown it. We blew it then with Adam and Eve and we've been blowing it ever since. We've messed up the world God gave us. But here's what a loving God says. He says, we know that all things work together for good to them that are the call, uh, to them that love God, who, those that are the called according to his purpose. Listen, it doesn't say all things are good. It says there is a holy, righteous, loving, all-powerful God who can take the worst things that happen in your life and if you'll just hang in there, somehow God will get good out of it. I know that's true. I know it's true. Because there's been mornings in my life I wish I could press the reset button and reboot the computer of life and be done with it. And yet the reality of the matter is I have to just simply trust the Lord to get me through and God always, always gets me through. Number four, I'll say this, and that is simply that the difference is faith. Now, if you'll notice, if you'll notice, uh, you know, instead of faking it till I, I'll fake it till I make it. No, no. It's trusting in God that God can get good out of the hardships and out of the difficulties of my life. And I, I think that sometimes, preacher, I think that sometimes we, we demand, we demand uh, uh, a facade. Why can't we be transparent? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Why can't I say I'm hurting? Why can't I say I struggle with depression? Why can't I say, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm not doing very well now. How are you doing? We're well, praise the Lord. Well, how's that going? God bless you. Pastor, wonderful message. You just cut my throat, but God bless you. Thank you for that. We're bleeding all over the place. We feel horrible. We need help. We're having temptations and struggles. We're on the precipice of falling over and, and ruining our life, but we don't feel like we can come to church and tell people what's going on in our life. It should never be that way. We should have the freedom to be real with each other. Job uh, suffered, but he never sinned nor charged God foolishly. And if you read Job chapter 3, you see a man that is literally vomiting up emotions. It is the rawest chapter in all of the Bible. Job literally is emoting disillusionment. He doesn't understand while his life has imploded, yet not one time did God rebuke him for what he said or what he felt. Can I say this to you? You're safe with the Lord. You can emote, you can bleed, you can... Wow, read the Psalms. David said, God, where are you? Oh, my word, what? Lightning rod up. No, don't say that. No, David said, God, where are you when I... I, I need you. My life, my life, I don't understand what's happening in my life. God, where are you when I need you most? And yet David was a man after God's own heart. I think sometimes we put the show on 
Romans 8.26 says that the Holy Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. There are times in our life when we're not going to even know how to frame the words. We're going to fall on our face and crawl somewhere to the feet of Christ and we're going to pray and, and we're going to literally just, we're going to moan and groan and the Holy Spirit of God is able to take that pain and take those guttural broken moanings of our heart, our broken heart, and he's able to put them into words for us. And these all, verse 39, would you look at that? And these all, who is these all? It's plan A and plan B. People that everything seems to be going good right now and people that everything's falling apart. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith. Plan A people, we would say, man alive, Brother Bernie, they got it going, man. <laughs> everything's going good for them. Can you believe what God did? A plus. But what about that group wandering in the desert? Sheepskins, goatskins, hiding in caves. I wonder what they did, preacher, that God wouldn't bless them with a $500,000 home. You know what God said? They get the same grade in plan B as they do in plan A. Why? Because they're faithful. Now I'm going to close, but I want you to jump with me to chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Don't miss it. Go to Hebrews chapter 12. Let me show you something. Watch this. So let's go to the next chapter. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness. Who's the great cloud of witnesses? We just read them. Abraham, you know, Isaac, okay, Noah, Moses. That's, that's who he's talking about. Remember the hall of faith? He's saying, remember those guys? Let us lay aside every weight the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience. The race. Now, now, this is how I illustrate that. Okay, here we are. This is patience. Okay, here I am. Hey, Brother Dean, what are you doing? I'm, nothing. Well, well, what's going on? That, nothing. Well, tell me what's... I'm just being patient. I'm, I'm waiting on the Lord. He said, he said to be patient. No, he didn't. Patience isn't twiddling your thumbs. Patience is running the race. Let us run... The race with patience that's set before us. What does that mean then? How do I run with patience? I run with patience where, to the point of, well, I, I'm, it's one foot in front of the other. It's one mile after the next mile. It's one yard after the other yard. It's, 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 whether, it's whether the course is easy, whether the course is uphill we did a 10K while we were in South Dakota that led, that led us from down with the visitor center all the way up through the woods, all the way up to the face of, of Crazy Horse. We were actually able to, to put our hands on the chin of Crazy Horse. We stood right there. Thankfully, he couldn't sneeze. But anyhow, we were right there under the nostrils, the giant nostrils of, of, of Crazy Horse. And, 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 and during that race, we were winding our way through the way. We came to a little opening there, and there was a husband and wife there. And she said, I don't care what you want to do. I'm not running anymore. Thought, wow, this is putting families together. <laughs> Building love, you know. What happened to you? We got divorced at Crazy Horse. That was great, man. So, so, so it was different terrain. What do you do? You keep running with patience. Well, I'm tired. Keep running. Well, I'm worn out. Keep running. 
No, no, no. Preacher, something's happened in my life. Don't quit. Don't drop by the wayside. Well, I'm struggling and things aren't going well. Stay faithful. Don't retire on God. Don't walk away from him. Run to him, not from him. Now watch this. Run with patience to race. Looking unto Abraham and Isaac and, 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 and Jacob and Joseph and Samson. No, no, no. Those are, no, no, look. Hey, listen, no. No, those are marbled memories. That's a bust of a man in Hebrews chapter 11 sitting right here. Abraham, well, he's gone. It's a marble memory. He, he can't strengthen me. He can, his, his legacy can encourage me, but he doesn't continue me. And all of a sudden, Brother Ferg, standing at the end of the hallway of faith, I see him. Seeing we're compassed about, the hall is lined with all these marbled memories. Well, they will encourage you, their story. But look away from them and look to the one at the end. Who is that? Looking unto Jesus. He's alive. Abraham's dead. Jesus is alive. Abraham's there. Jesus is here. Looking unto Jesus. The author... That means he got me started. He's the finisher. That means he'll keep me started. Keep, keep me going through whatever is in between those two points. When my grandson died, just shy of his fifth birthday, I was working out for a triathlon in a pool there in, in uh, Idaho. And somebody came in and said, my, my brother-in-law did, said, Dean, you need to go to the hospital. Josiah is... Something's going on. And we knew he had been lethargic. And long story short, they said at the max he would live seven months. He lived 55 days. Part of that is because I was praying that God would not allow him to go blind and use the, lose the use of his limbs. I went out at night and would pray to God to take my life instead of his. I begged God, please take me. Please, dear God. I've lived, a, I've lived a good and a fruitful life. God, please take me. Let that boy live. 